Hey, how you doing? How you been? I'm hoping everything's good. Sorry these uh, episodes are getting a little bit backlogged. You know, life happens sometimes. You know, like the flu. The flu happens. The flu's horrible. I, we've had our flu shots this year, too, and well, my wife was just really sick. But I got, like, uh, remnants of it. I kind of got, like, you know, the hurricane kind of, like, gives you the outer bands. I got the outer bands of the flu, you know, so I'm doing okay. But she was really sick. She's doing better now. But anyway... It kind of pushed us back on the episode, so I apologize to my friends in uh, Liverpool and in Ireland. And we're getting to you. Actually, today we are knocking out Liverpool. We're knocking out uh, Liverpool Football Club. We're knocking out, I mean, I don't want to say knocking out. They're my team. Can't be knocked out of the Premier League. We are talking about Liverpool FC. We're talking about the Beatles today. That's all coming up on this episode. And then, after this episode, we are getting over to Ireland, to the land of Really good beer and leprechauns and great music. Really cool people. We're going to be there shortly, so stick around. Stay tuned. Honest to God, I could be in the middle of the desert like I was, and somebody with a weed whacker would show up. <laughs> oh, man, it's my luck anyway. little story before we get going here. We're talking about the Beatles. The other day, I went over to a neighbor's house to give him some help. He's a pretty old dude, and here he was fixing a hole in the driveway, and I asked him if he tripped over it because he rarely fixes anything. And he said to me, no, that uh, he was just going to let it be. But his wife said, uh, you can't do that. He says, why? And she says, because your mother should know. You already messed up her driveway last time you tried to fix anything. So he says to me, yeah, I need you to carry that weight over here. And we'll set that on top of the blacktop so it sets flat. Personally, I didn't think he was looking so good. So I said, dude, you don't look too good. He says to me, I feel fine. Don't worry. But I'm so tired. And I say, it's pretty hot out here. And he says, yes, it is. And I then say, wait, do you know what you're doing? And I say that because he's such a smart, well, I can't say that word, but a wise guy that I always got to mess with him. He's always messing with me. And he says, boy, do you want to know a secret? And I said, sure. He says, every time I drive my car, I think it won't be long until my soul is floating somewhere across the universe. I look back on all the mistakes I made in my life and I say to myself, I should have known better. But at the same time, I think I should just let it be and just chalk it up to being a day in the life of this crazy old goat you're looking at right now. And suddenly here comes his wife and... He says, act naturally, like we're not talking about life lessons. <laughs> so I do. And those lessons are free today, he says, from me to you. I say, thanks, dude. Anytime at all, he says back. And she says, hello. And I say, goodbye. <laughs> I joke as I laughed afterwards because I want to get out of there before them two started going at it. And she replies, I want to tell you, thanks for coming and helping him out. You're welcome to stop over anytime, anytime at all. I will, I say. I'll be back. It won't be long. She says, thank you. And I walk away. I've known those people a very long, long, long time. Decades. It's hard watching people grow old. Slow down, I shout back. As he sits in his chair and watches the repair job we just completed, I get no reply. He knows he's slowing down and getting old. So folks, what this is all about is taking the time to be kind to the old folks in your life. So people, we just don't live forever. I told you that story and simultaneously I did something else that you may or may not be aware of. I used the song titles of 37 Beatles songs to tell you a story. I'd have loved to play you those songs so we could talk about their music in detail, but by copyright laws, I'm not allowed to do that. So I guess that's a good thing for whoever owns the music, but it's a bad thing for us. I can just mention a song by the Beatles, and most likely you'll know that tune, like the beginning of In My Life. Incredible six notes that recognize throughout the universe. And when I think of the Beatles themselves, to be honest, I was just too young to remember the frenzy. By the time I discovered the Beatles music, they had already broken up. So here I find these incredible songs, amazing musical compositions, and bam, they're already done. Band's done. 
So it took me a while to figure that out as well. And as a youngster diving deep into their songs, listening over and over each time, I'd seem to hear something new that I didn't hear the first time. The Beatles, to me, were and still are the soundtrack to my life. The Beatles put out over 12 studio albums, 5 live albums, 15 compilation albums, 21 EPs, 63 singles. It's amazing. Amazing statistics. Beatlemania is still alive and well here on planet Earth. So recently I got to get to Liverpool. Man, what a great time that was. I met a lot of fascinating people, great people. It's a really neat town to visit if you ever get the opportunity to go there. People say, why would you want to go to Liverpool? Hey, for the team. Liverpool Football Club, which I highly recommend. If you ever get the opportunity to go there and watch that team play and just be part of that environment, that atmosphere there, it's incredible. What energy. Also, for the Beatles. And you will be surprised, 50 years later of the Fab Four, everywhere you go, there's, uh, there's something Beatles still there. So it's just amazing that these four lads from Liverpool got together, created an incredible sound that still thrives today. Worldwide, I think 800 million albums. That's incredible. And uh, like I said, it's still firing strong. So we're going to do a little episode today from Liverpool. This is Finding Subjects. Guess where we're at today? We're in Liverpool. Liverpool. And why, people are asking, why are you going to Liverpool? What's in Liverpool? Well, the Beatles were in Liverpool. The Fab Four, man, that's the origins of rock and roll as far as I'm concerned. Yes, you can say Elvis Presley and such, but to me, in my life, well, Beatles were the start of it. Now, a little bit of story about that. I had a lot of sisters, okay? And I was the rebel brother. And uh, I disassociated myself. I hid my little room and I listened to my music, but... My sisters, they bought all the albums. And back in the days, we didn't have the CDs, we didn't have cassettes, we didn't have 8-track recorders. It was albums you played on a record player. And uh, when they were out of the house, I snuck into their room and I grabbed their albums. I was listening to it all. Anything from the 60s that came out, they had it and I was listening to it. And that is where my love for music really originated from, honestly. So the thing about the Beatles to me, you know, first of all, you hear, and I don't remember the details about it, but I do remember like my sister's going nuts about these guys. And I'm like, what the heck, man? Like, what's the big deal? The big deal to me ended up being the music itself. Now. Anybody who's ever sat down and listened to the Beatles knows what I'm talking about. You can sit there and dissect every single song that they play. And the more you listen to it, the more things that you'll hear in there. And that's just how the Beatles were. They weren't afraid to put crazy stuff, crazy sounds, crazy noises, hidden things in their music. It didn't matter. That's what made it exciting. So for me to sit there and listen to the details, even as a young kid, you know, lifting up the needle, going back and forth. My, I remember my, my dad saying, you're going to ruin that needle. I didn't care. I mean, it was just, just, I had to hear more. I had to hear the guitar. When my first daughter was about to be born, uh, what I did was I made up a cassette tape and I cued that cassette tape up with one particular song. And that song was In My Life. And I just thought for some reason, I wanted to make sure that that song, that particular song In My Life by the Beatles, was the very first song that my children ever heard in their ears. So uh, I do remember that day, we brought my daughter home on Christmas Eve. You had to get down to the car and you had to make sure that car seat was installed correctly. The nurses come down and check that out and then they bring my wife and my baby down and they put her in the car and they you know, fastened her into the car seat. My wife got in the car and then it was like me, like a little kid, like, okay, are you ready? You ready, little baby? 
And I just popped that tape in and bam. As I'm driving down the road through uh, Chester, Pennsylvania, uh, heading towards our house and further on out in Delaware County, the Beatles in my life playing and me, you know, being a proud papa and my, my wife, we're just so happy. And that song's important. It's, it says everything that, you know, I think I would like to say and I would like my kids to know later on in life. I mean, you listen to the words, it's just incredible how it just played itself out. So the Beatles to me play a big part in my history, in my life. There it is again. Uh, with my children, they're Beatles fans. So you can see how it could be important for me to get to Liverpool and especially share that with my daughter. So to segue, we had to choose which tour to take and we chose the Magical Mystery Bus Tour. And here's some guys to work for them. Anyway, I'm sitting here with Bill and, and Jack. All right, Bill and Jack, could you tell me about the Magical Mystery Tour? We just got into Liverpool and we want to do something exciting. And so anybody who does visit Liverpool, tell them why they should go on the Magical Mystery Tour. Well, the Magical Mystery Tour has been going for about 30 years. It's run by the Cavern Club, where the Beatles were discovered and played about 300 times from about 61 to 63. So we do this tour where we go and visit the childhood homes of the Beatles, Strawberry Fields, Penny Lane, and then the tour finishes at the Cavern Club and you can go in for free with your tour ticket and listen to live music all day and night. That's every day of the week. Pretty much what Bill said. <laughs> <laughs> listen, do we need to get a few pints in us to, to really open up and talk about this? Uh, yeah, if you're everybody's... offering, yeah. <laughs> Can I ask you a question? You both grew up in Liverpool? Yeah, I did. He. Yeah, I was born over there, grew up here, and okay. then moved back over. So uh, are you uh, so you're, are you a Liverpool fan or an Everton yes, fan? Yes, Liverpool. Fan. Okay, yeah. Are you? Okay, so perfect mix. You, you're sitting here getting along together. That's that's a good. We sign. don't get along. No, no you don't. Walked in at a good time. <laughs> How about the derby? Do we even talk to each other? That's this, this Sunday. That's this Sunday. It's, so. it's this Sunday. Sunday. Okay, yeah. so we're going to tomorrow night's game. Yeah, uh, we'll yeah, get tomorrow night's game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. It's testy at the moment. Okay. Yeah, it's Liverpool seems to have. Plateau would be a Man City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chipping at our heels, so yeah, it's a. Uh, Do you it's feel new. how I feel about Man City? Uh, how, it's like Man City, to me, Man City. Man City to me is <laughs> you might uh, love them. is like the you do love them? No, you. I think oh, you no, might no, love no. Them. Man City to me is like the New England Patriots to me. Uh, I'm a 49ers Good. fan. I'll, I'll take that. But you know, you've got to become an Eagles fan as well. No, Both these. Well, I like Philadelphia. Oh, the there you go. Yeah. I'm rooting for the Eagles during the Super Bowl. Okay, I, that, obviously. Fair enough. Yeah. So that's where we're from. We're from Philadelphia. So what time are you on? Yeah. Um, what is it? It's uh, a, one o'clock. We're at one o'clock. Yeah. yeah. So I'll be in here tomorrow. You'll okay. be in here tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. let me ask you a question. So you know, obviously you're Beatle fans. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Beatles. what's that like to be to grow I, up? It's to, weird because you kind of you do realize how important it is. Yeah. But at the same time, because we don't know any difference. Yeah. It's just it's yeah. what we grew up with. We yeah. know how important they are. It's just around us all the time. It's strange sometimes to think. Because sometimes they feel so separate because they're, they're now the world. Yeah. And when you you see local celebrities, they're a bit different nowadays than to what the Beatles are and sound like because they didn't live in Liverpool for a long time. Right. But then you get this wave of like pride every now yeah. and again. You're just like, wow, there's all these people coming here. You it's... don't see Paul McCartney, people are crying. You're like, well, he's from down the road. It's... What toy are you on, actually? Um, I'll tell you. Yeah. Neil. Oh, Neil will speak. Yeah. Neil. So we're talking about Paul McCartney right now. So, yeah, so when people meet Paul McCartney, like I did myself the first time I met him, December 14, 1999, my exact words somewhere. <laughs> I, I just, I couldn't speak. It was only in 2002 when I noticed Paul has a trick that he does when he meets people for the first time. He goes up to them and says, Hi, I'm Paul McCartney. Really? And it gives people the chance to go, I, I'm Dave, or I am Neil, or, and I, I was like, 
Why do, they all know who you are, Paul. They went, yeah, but I don't know them. Very cool. And I realised that's why he does it, to put you at ease. So he says, even though he's the most recognisable man on the planet. Right. <laughs> Hi, I'm Paul McCartney. How about that? And it's just so people will come back with a with an answer rather than just going. <laughs> so, from your meetings with him, just for people out there who are listening, yeah, I'll be right there. So, just for people who are listening now, you know, the dream to meet him, um, just an authentic guy. Just a just a, a genuine, normal Liverpool guy who's done all right for himself. Very cool. He's a lovely guy. I've never ever seen him be anything but gracious and humble in front of Very fans cool. and you know, he obviously there's times when he needs to keep himself to himself when sure. he's having dinner or something like that and people might think he's being rude but he's not he's, you know, he's, he's got a personal life sure. as well Right. but yeah I've never known him to be anything other than a lovely approachable so right now we're talking to Neil we're about to take the Magical Mysteries tour but right now we're going to hit the bathroom yep. and then we'll hear Neil separately, separately. separately. You know? yes. yeah. I'll get a cup of tea you go to the okay. bathroom and then we'll switch <laughs> you got it bud see you I'll, I'll see you a bit right good morning good afternoon Welcome aboard the Magic Mystery Tour. My name's Neil. I'm here. This is Tony, our wonderful driver today. For the next two hours, or thereabouts, we're going to take you to the suburbs of Liverpool, show you some of the places made famous by the Beatles and other bands from the 1960s, including some of the birthplaces, the schools, the homes, maybe a bar or two if we get the chance, you never know. Now, the first port's call is the Albert Dock, Europe's largest collection of Grade 1 listed buildings, and of course, situated right on the banks of the River Mersey. That river was made famous in 1964 by a film and song of the same title, Ferry Across the Mersey. Song performed by Jerry and the Pacemakers, another band also managed by the Beatles' second manager, Brian Epstein. It was also on that river, Christmas Eve 1945, that Pete Best and his family arrived from India on a troop ship to set up home here in Liverpool. Peter Cole's been the first of the full-time drummers with the Beatles. But also during the 1950s, Ringo Starr got himself a job working on the ferries as a barman. That was a job that was to last him only about a week. Now, as you'll find out a little bit later, Ringo didn't like working for a living. So you're a coach driver. While you're at the docks, you may have noticed the new arena. Next dock along there, the King's Dock, Liverpool Echo Arena. Now, the official open was done January 2008 by Ringo Starr. Paul McCartney's also made a couple of appearances at the arena. November 2008, we were very lucky to host the MTV Europe Music Awards. Paul was in attendance to receive an award for being the ultimate legend in popular music. It was Bono from U2 who presented Paul's award. He made a fantastic speech. Not only did he introduce Sir Paul McCartney as the man who invented this job, but they once explained to everyone that Paul had taken him out on a magical mystery tour in the afternoon in his car. Took him around Penny Lane, Strawberry Field, all the place we're going to see today. And he said it was quite surreal. It was like being in the Pope mobile with the Pope driving. He really was quite strange having a Beatle tour from a Beatle. Where the arena is, until a couple of years ago, the whole site down there was just a big gravel car park. It did actually have a Beatle relevance anyway. Back in 1990, Paul McCartney was in a world tour, which he started off at the Americana Stadium, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. He wants to finish that world tour back home in Liverpool. Now, being famous for our music, we didn't have a stadium big enough for Paul McCartney. So three weeks before the concert, he sent a team of people down there to build a makeshift arena on that wasteland. The night of the show, 100,000 people turned up. Paul got very nervous at the reception of the Amagam Liverpool. So an hour and a half late, going on stage. When he eventually made it to the stage in history, it was the first time ever Sergeant Pepper had been performed live on stage by a Beatle. He then sat at the piano, paid tribute to John Lennon with a medley of songs, finishing off with Give Peace a Chance. 
as you know, Give Peace a Chance normally lasts about three and a half minutes. On that night, the crowd are singing that loud. After three and a half minutes, Paul and the band group walked off stage. Seven minutes later, the crowd are still singing that loud. Paul and the band came back on stage and joined them with the crowd. Give Peace a Chance lasted over 15 and a half minutes that night. So because the show was now an half late start, certain things carried on slightly longer than imagined, the show didn't finish until about one o'clock in the morning. Again, that didn't bother the crowd. So they came out to the gates of Kingstock to find that the public transport had finished at 11.30. So you had 100,000 people trying to walk home that night. Only 1,000 taxis were available. I myself went walking home, all the way to Hayton, with my mother and father, eight and a half miles away. Didn't bother me at the time, I was only nine. Paul also acted for his recent world tour. Again, it was on the King's Dock, 1st of June 2003, in front of a crowd of 35,000 people. But now we've got that new arena, which holds 10,600. So it's still not really an arena big enough for Paul McCartney. So last time he came to Liverpool to do a big show, 1st of June 2008, he has to Anfield, Liverpool's football ground again, in front of a crowd of 35,000. Paul has now performed at the arena three times now. Uh, most recently was the 12th of December, where he performed in front of a sellout crowd of 10,664 people and played for just over three hours without a break, which is not bad at the age of 76. Especially when you consider a few months back when Justin Bieber at the arena, he played for an hour and ten minutes. Too long. <laughs> You'll see we've got everything in Liverpool. Beatles, Jerry and the Pacemakers, two cathedrals, Biggest pie bug in the world, and of course, two great football teams Liverpool and Liverpool Reserves. Heard <laughs> <laughs> rumours of somebody spotting Everton. <clears throat> they were moving through the Dingle. Actually, you get a lot of uh, refurbishing going on at the moment. All 444 houses were just going to be demolished. We had to campaign for eight years to save them. Wow. Uh, so they're working their way along. Who's never been to Birmingham? <laughs> Fair for you, Well, just so you know, this is Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> Does anyone watch the TV show Peaky Blinders? Yeah. Well, this is Garrison Street from Peaky Blinders. Wow. So this is actually now the most famous road in Birmingham. <laughs> People from all over the world are travelling to Birmingham looking for this road, and it's here. So halfway down the right-hand side would be Thomas Shelby's house. That's where they've been filming it for the last six years. They've had to find somewhere else now. They've filmed a couple of seasons' worth of outdoor scenes because, they, obviously, they're getting renovated now. But yeah, that's where they filmed Peaky Blinders. There you go. These next little side streets on the left is Madrin Street. Now, if you look down the left-hand side, the fifth house down wow. on the left is number nine, Madrin Street. And it was there, 7th of July, 1940, Ringo Starr was born. He lived there for four years with his mother and father, Richard and Elsie, till they then separated. Ringo and his mother stayed in that house. His father moved out. He moved in with his parents, not very far away, just down the street, number 59. About a year later, Elsie met a new man in life, a man called Harry Graves from Brighton. Once the relationship was well underway, they decided to get themselves their own house. Liking this area so much, they didn't move very far. Just this little side street on the right, number 10, Admiral Grove. When you look down this one, it's half around the right-hand side, the White House, now painted white and pink. On a Friday and Saturday evening, Harry and Elsie would come to this little pub on the corner, the Empress. Harry had played a piano, Elsie would sing. Her favourite song was a Doris Day wartime song called Sentimental Journey. When Ringo released his first solo album, he called the album Sentimental Journey as a tribute to his mother. The Empress Pub was featured on the front cover of the album. 
Album released 27th of March, 1970. When Ringo was five years old, he was given that terrible news that he had to start going to school. <laughs> the school he attended is on the left, St. Silas CV School, also attended by another great Liverpool rock and roller, Mr. Billy Fury. When Ringo left school, he left school with no qualifications. He never really spent that much time at school as a child because of illness. There's one time he was taken to hospital with pleurisy. While in hospital, a nurse noted he had a knack for keeping rhythm. While he was playing the tambourine on one of the wards, she told Harry, Harry decided to buy Ringo a drum kit for his 13th birthday. Ringo then taught himself to play the drums. When he eventually left school, he took an apprenticeship at an engineering company, and he lasted three weeks. He decided he didn't like getting his hands dirty. So he then took an apprenticeship as a carpenter. That lasted two weeks. He then took a job on the ferries, which lasted a week. So you can safely say Ringo didn't like working for a living. But he stuck with his music. He was in a local band called the Alan Caldwell Skiffle Group, who later changed the name to Rory Storm of Hurricanes. That's the first band he was playing with when he first went off to Hamburg, where he got turned to Beatles. So also the band he was playing with when he developed his nickname. Rory Storm of Hurricanes were quite a flamboyant band. So to fit in, he decided to wear a big gold ring on every finger. One day when he came home, his mum said to me, look more like a Ringo than Richard. So he kept it, short the Starkey, to start. Now, as you know, Ringo wasn't the first drummer in the Beatles. In the early days, he used a different drummer and virtually every gig. After failing an audition to become Billy Fury's backing band, they were off the tour of Scotland, supporting Johnny Gentle. The drummer for that tour was a guy called Tommy Moore. When returning to Liverpool, Tommy immediately left the band, according to Alan Williams, who was the manager at the time, because he just couldn't get on with John Lennon. They had a complete clash of personalities, couldn't stand each other. So I'd say Tommy just left the band. The lads then decided to replace him with a full-time drummer. They wanted someone to have time to settle into the band and gel with them. So it's a traditional local lad called Pete Best. Now they only knew Pete because of his Sam at the Casbah. The Best family owned the Casbah was the basement of their family home, which they'd converted into a coffee club. The quarrymen performed the opening night, became the resident band, playing there every Saturday for seven weeks. Pete stood in for them on a couple of occasions. So I say this Andrew Dish and Pete, again, according to Alan Williams, they knew Pete was going to get the job. They just made him audition so that he couldn't demand more money. Pete got the job, went off to Hamburg with the lads, and was still with them when they secured the recording contract with EMI Parlophone. It was during the early sessions recording Love We Do that Ron Richards, one of the producers, said no matter how many times he asked Pete to do a particular drum beat, he just couldn't quite get it right. He's also said that he doesn't think Ringo would have got it right either, or in fact, there was a drummer on earth who would have made him happy at the time. He just didn't like drummers. We obviously let his feelings be known to Brian Epstein, obviously then told the rest of the band. While Pete was performing at the Cavern, he received a message saying that Brian wants to see him the following day in his office. In Pete's own words, he walked into that office expecting to be talking about some future gigs or even going back to the studio. He said he walked in to find a very solemn-looking Brian sitting behind his desk, who basically just came out with it. He said, Pete, lads aren't out of the band, you're sacked. Ringo's taking over on Saturday. That was all he was told. No explanations, never the word from them, ever since. Now, there's so many different stories around the Pete's dismissal. It is quite hard to know what to believe and what not to believe. But I think the one thing that puts it into context, but I think anything, is what John Lennon said when he said Pete was a great drummer, but Ringo was a great Beatle. It literally just came down to personalities. Pete was never going to fit in the band. Such a quiet, unassuming kind of guy with very dry sense of humour. He was never going to fit with the rock and roll lifestyle that the other guys were craving. Whereas Ringo came along, fitted them perfectly. Same personality, same sense of humour. 
But one of the main reasons, if not the main reason, Tom Schreng won the band, is because they'd seen him in Hamburg, and they'd seen how good he was with the girls. And they said, we'll get him in our band, we'll get more girls. Totally true. In fact, it's the same reason I have Tony on the bus with me. <laughs> Ladies' man. And he's free tonight. Well, not free. Cheap. Make it free. And there you have it, a taste of the excellent tour by the Magical Mystery Tour Bus in Liverpool, England. That's run by the owners of the Cavern Club, and you get free entry into the Cavern Club to hang out, listen to live music all day long. You can't beat it. So great people, great tour, so informative. And again, if you're a Beatles fan, you will really appreciate the little details they're going to tell you. So get to Liverpool, get to see that tour, and get to Anfield, which is where we're going right now. What's Anfield? It is the home of Liverpool Football Club, but we're going to take a nice special tour, see the whole thing behind the scenes. And our tour guides today are Gordon and Mike. Informative, hilarious, what a great time. And I can't even explain to you how excited I am to get to Anfield and see behind the scenes of where it all takes place. We're going to Anfield, home of Liverpool Football Club. And before we get into this, folks, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine, Susie. And I'll tell you, she does something that I actually do as well. It is a very relaxing way to chill yourself out. I, I go out with my camera. I go into the woods. I'll just go take a walk somewhere and be mindful of what's around me. And a lot of times when you're out there being mindful, you'll see some really interesting birds. So Susie does a really nice podcast. Well, here's Susie. Let her tell you about it. It's Susie here from the Casual Birder podcast. I love watching birds, whether it's those that visit my garden or ones that I see when travelling. Birdwatching is a great pastime. It can be done with others or alone. You don't need expensive equipment. Your eyes or ears are enough. And best of all, it doesn't need any great commitment. The Casual Birder does as much or as little birding as suits them. Join me each week to hear about the birds I've seen, interviews with others, and stories from listeners around the world. The Casual Birder Podcast, available wherever you listen to podcasts. In the second half of today's show, we are at Anfield. Fortress Anfield, you'll hear it be referred to. Within this arena, history lives. Alive today as it was 100 plus years ago, with the likes of Shankly and Paisley. All the greats still live here, within the hearts of the Liverpool faithful, the Liverpool family. We gather here, we gather all around the globe, and we all join together to support this club, Liverpool Football. So let's take a tour of these sacred grounds and learn more about Anfield. That was the, uh, the players' lounge, but they had a crash in there. There's 8,000 fans here, sometimes a bit noisy for the kids. But in there, Carlsberg are our longest running sponsors, used to be the shared sponsors, and Bob Liverpool over 25 years. In there is where they vote for the man of the match. Okay, so on that stage later, hopefully Mo Salah or Mane will be there. Okay, they can get the award. Because the religion, they won't have anything to do with the alcohol. Sorry. All right, so hopefully we've scored a hat-trick, one of them. We up there on that stage. And the great ambassadors for their religion, the great ambassadors for Liverpool. It also leaves more beer for me and my <laughs> That's what you call a win-win situation to the right. Okay. Uh, they will go through the corridor, which is all Liverpool, and then they will go into their changing room. But also, think about what you're like if you're an away team player here. Because all week, when you've well, packed the old season, you're looking for fixtures, aren't you? If you're playing for Watford, and one that's going to stick out from you, no matter from where you are in the world, is Anfield. So imagine what it's like when you're going through here two hours before. You might act all cool. You might have the headphones on. You might have the little bag. You might even have to walk. 
But in your head, you are thinking, imagine if you're a Watford player, you're playing at Anfield. Because you're not just playing a fantastic Liverpool of today, you are playing the team of Paisley, of Shankly, of Dalglish, of Suarez, all those players, Gerard. And you're going to play out there for Liverpool to play 126 years in front of the most specific fans in the world. So if you're here, you might act cool, but I think if you're playing for Watford, you might be quaking in your boots a little bit. One man doesn't go through the Liverpool players when they come through here, okay? That is Jurgen Klopp. That is Jurgen's private office. Okay? When the teams drop off, he normally goes in there and he will meet friends and family that he's invited there privately to the game. And then, yeah, and then he'll join the team. Yeah, and then he'll join the team. But notice there is no sign on there. There is nothing there that says Jurgen Klopp, Liverpool manager. That is just the catering sign. The door is the same. It's not the way we roll. Possibly the Shantlers from Leicester. It's probably where Brendan went a little bit long. But we're not like that. We are incredibly humble, particularly our managers. Paisley was like that. Uh, Joe Fagan. That's tradition. I'm shocked it doesn't say manager on there. No, no, no. It's just that's just the way it is, and that's just the it's case. Like a cobalt operation, isn't it? Of course, yeah. And that is it. And it's it's pretty basic in there. There's a private office. There's a suite of rooms, and he will meet his friends and family, and then he joins the team just before. Yeah, just before kickoff to get his final message through. So, the next port of call that we go to is the press conference. So, come on, this is the after match press conference. I think we've still got it at the moment, so we're lucky to have it at the minute. We haven't closed it off. And this is where Jürgen will be for 40 minutes. In there, okay, senior away team, that's where Watford will be. Alright, and they'll be in there. They'll be in there for two hours beforehand. And it's very bland. And there's very little sound insulation above it either. So when you're in there, okay, you can hear the 20,000 fans. And at Liverpool, we like a beer. So as the pubs and bars empty, it gets louder and louder. When Roma played there in the semi-final European Cup last year, their coaching staff complained to UEFA because they couldn't hear themselves think. Ale, ale, because they want the atmosphere and the noise. They've also been cooped up in that room. Liverpool come out there. They're going to stand here. They're going to stand up on the right to go up to the famous spying cop to the home fans, the heart and soul of Liverpool. Now, imagine what it's like when you're standing here. 
Okay, you talk about coming through when you first get off the coach, but imagine now, after being two hours cooped up in there, now you're going to go and play at Anfield. You're standing here. Those doors are open. You're hearing. You never walk alone. Imagine what it must be like for the opposition. Imagine what it must be like for the Liverpool players, the feeling of pride, yes. and also how much you want that fixed, because you want to go out there. You know it, you've been brought up on the atmosphere. Not quite the same for the opposition. I think if you've got white shorts and you're standing here playing for Watford, there might be a few stains on them. <laughs> the last thing that you're going to see is the Anfield sign. Okay, the Anfield sign is iconic in world football. Yeah, it first went up in 1971 in Bill Shankly's time. It was one of the very few ideas and traditions that wasn't actually Shankly's idea. It actually came from a groundsman called Kenny Myers. He mentioned it to a famous club secretary, Peter Robinson. Shankly wasn't keen at first, but he grew to love it because it is the cherry on the cake. If you're standing here, you don't need a sign to say this is Anfield. Okay? You know, you've known since day one, when you saw that fixture list, you're going to have to go and play there on that tight pitch where all the great players have ever been have played. So, if you're ready, just take your photographs and we'll just go outside now. But remember, nobody goes anywhere near the pitch. It is a restful offence. So come on out. It has to change. It has to change. Oh, my God. Because the number of people. What a great game for a game. I know. So the seat at the end. Jürgen, if anybody wants to have a seat in it, no problem. But come and feel it, Fortress Anfield. Here we are, my friends. It's £25,000 for the season tickets in there. And you've got to buy two of them. And you've got to buy them for a minimum of three years. So it's £150,000 to sit up there. But that's where you get the famous Liverpool fans. You get Mike Myers. You'll get Daniel Craig sitting up there. Me, Michael, we're all up there. So who buys it? The sponsors or say? They'll buy it themselves. Very rich people. Yeah, they'll buy it. Yeah, yeah, multi-millionaires. It's a global game now, isn't it? You know, if you want to go up there, you can go. Everything has a price. Gordon? We're the live of birth. So what time will the players get here today? They will get here 90 minutes before a game. Okay. okay. And the away time is usually a bit longer, nearer two okay. hours. So that is actual turf as it, opposed to, yeah, this, this, this is grass. This is 97% grass okay. and it's 3% um, uh, plastic. Plastic huh? is imprinted, it's strands that go down about yeah. 16 centimetres binds with the pitch. There's also 90 miles of undersoil heating in there and there's a new sprinkler system being installed as well. Uh, it costs £1.8 million and it's not it's bad, is it? Yeah. Uh, he's I think he's already cut the grass. Yeah. He's put the practice nets up. And the net is there. Yeah. Oh, that's the practice net. Well, no, no, those nets there will stop you all eating a meat pie. It stops you getting hit with the ball when they're kicking in before the game. <laughs> gotcha. But he will put practice goals right. up there. The last job that he will do will be to mark the pitch out the white lines. Right. Okay. Uh, the seats at the back there, they were added by uh, Jürgen this year. Okay, and that is to keep players who aren't in the match day squad with the rest of the team. So you don't disperse over the ground. Jürgen is huge on team spirit. The difference with the home dugout 
And the away one oh. is that this side is heated, won't make a difference today, it's like okay, being a Barcelona or something, yeah. but on a cold, cold night, all the Liverpool muscles and hamstrings, we're all nice and toasty, it's not yeah. quite the same in the away. I think it's a bit much the way me and Michael have to get buckets of icy water and throw on them, throw, throw it on them, but it is Premier League football, yeah. isn't it? What about, what about the fans? Yeah. Sorry. It's 54,000, sir, and we have planned permission to increase the capacity this end, which would take it to 62,000. But the big thing with Liverpool, it's all on top of you, okay? So you can play at Old Trafford, it's bigger, but it's not as close. Neymar was playing there for uh, PSG not so long ago in the Champions League, and you could actually see him going, wow, mm. the noise, the way yeah, it is, yeah. because continental grounds, they have running tracks, even the dugouts, they're normally yeah, covered. Yeah. Not here, you get every bit the emotion that only Liverpool fans can give you. Okay, so you're gonna get it, because it means so much to us. Yeah. That is the passion of us, the Liverpool supporters. Yep. Yeah. All right, Mike, how are we fixed? Mike, are we good to go? Okay, we have to go, I'm afraid. So come on, you'll be here later, most of you. We'll have to move down to the second row. I think that's where you'll be, sir. Have a great day and enjoy it. Sing the lights out. You were in that corner there, Upper Anfield Road. That's where you'd be. We make a move, guys. Yeah, you're up there, you two, aren't you? And here's the part I'm not really proud of, but I had to ask Mike for this. I asked him for a blade of grass, and here's what happened. Hey, Mike, real quick. Yes, Bob. No, 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 no. I, I, I had to ask. Um, we I used to, to give away samples in plastic yeah. bags, give them away. Yeah, yeah. But believe it or not, Health and safety said the chemicals on the grass, if somebody touches it and something uh, happens untoward, they're liable. This was we a, live in this world This now. was a test. Mike had passed the test. <laughs> I asked for a blade of grass. So they wouldn't even let us give the, they wouldn't even let us give us the grass. No. Okay, God. I appreciate but, uh, it. Oh, you're welcome, my friend. <laughs> yes. Are you, are you gonna, what do you do? Do you edit it all together when oh, it's yeah. over? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. All the dead time that will be gone. Yeah, yeah, with It'll the bits with my hand. No, that's gonna be, that'll be the highlights. <laughs> that's gonna be the highlights that you're singing. I'm gonna kick, I'm gonna start and end with your singing. <laughs> Maybe I get to hear you never walk alone from you. Oh, absolutely. All right. Out here, in the echo? Maybe. Give me a quick rendition. When you walk through a storm, hold your head up high. And don't be afraid of the dark. At the end of the storm, there's a golden sky. And a sweet silver song of a lark. Walk on through the rain. Walk on through the wind. Hold your dreams be tossed and blown. Walk on, walk on with hope in your heart. And you'll never walk alone. You'll never walk alone. Beautiful. <laughs> I'm going to send that out to a friend who just passed away, Paul Sutton from Liverpool. Oh, okay. He lived in the United States, and he was Michael a die-hard, die-hard Liverpool fan. And that was for you, Paul, and for Tori, his daughter. Uh, thank you so much, Mike, for that rendition. No, no, my absolute yeah. pleasure. He lived and breathed Liverpool. Is there any other way, Bob? Is nope. there any other way? No. So fantastic. Thank you. You're more than welcome, sir. Stand the terrace before that. It 
world football, the famous spying cop. On its heyday, the official capacity here is 26,000 fans standing the day before 1994. And it was a living, and thing when it was standing together. Because if you were standing up here and you sing a song about Stevie Highway being on the wing and having some songs to sing, he's a left winger, okay? If you want to see him up there, you'd have to lean down. So the whole side of this stand would walk, would lean down, okay, with all the people pushing. If you wanted to see Ian Callaghan or Kevin Keegan on the right, same on that side. The whole stand on that side would lean down to see him do his magic, cross the ball, and hopefully John Soshak get his head on the ball. And before that, Billy Little and Albert Stubbins. Okay. Uh, but, okay, it was absolutely amazing thing. It was a goal mount scramble there. Did all rush forward and all rush back. It must have been fantastic to play in front of that. The noise was incessant. If somebody scored, I always dreamed of being Kevin Keegan scoring into that goal. Somebody scored against Liverpool, had the temerity to do that. Imagine, with 26,000, there was always noise, there was always somebody shouting. It would go silent for a split second. And the devil in me, I've got to be honest, I would love to have done that as well. Just shut them up. It's named, the actual stand is named after a battle. I've got some people from South Africa. The battle took place at Ladysmith in the Boer War, okay, uh, and there was a hill outside Ladysmith which was a vantage point, and the British Army decided to attack the hill. One of the regiments involved was the Lancashire Fusiliers. The Lancashire Fusiliers recruited in this, uh, in this area. The battle took place in 1900, 24th of January. It was a fiasco. Hundreds were killed. Now, when the people came back, the soldiers came back, they still came to football, but football runs through Liverpool. Okay, it just runs through the people of Liverpool. Liverpool and Everton, to be fair. And when they, because Everton played here for eight years, they actually won a league championship as well. But that's another story for another time. I'll tell you why they separated. But when they came back, okay, this was still just a grassy embankment. And they said it reminded them of where they'd fought the battle, the Battle of Spian Cop, which in Africa means vantage point. Okay, where they'd lost so many of the, com uh, so many of the com uh, comrades and colleagues. Some of them were as young as 15 and 16 because they wanted an adventure. They wanted to fight for king and country and they went off to South Africa to fight a war for king and country. So when they came back, okay, they, they were on this and they gave it the nickname, the Spying Cop. In 1906, it becomes a formal terrace. In 1928, the roof was added. When the roof was added, there was a campaign in the local paper to change the name okay, from uh, the Walkbreck Road end into the Spying Cop, being known as it ever since. The biggest gate, somebody asked me on here, is reputedly against St Etienne. Do you remember that first photograph I showed you? It's about yeah, 1977, yeah. quarter-final, the European Cup. They estimate, because they've analysed photographs, that there were over 34,000 fans where you're sitting here. That's three people for every seat. <laughs> Imagine what that was like, <clears throat> but imagine what it could do. Bill Shanky called this place the 12th man, such was the power, because it could suck a ball in. 
somebody scored against Liverpool. I, I said he went silent for a split second, then instantaneously you were there. Liverpool, Liverpool. When Bill Shankling died seven years after leaving Liverpool, his ashes were scattered into that goal. That's what he wanted, that's what he wanted in his will. And he also used to encourage fans, the families, to have their ashes scattered here. So it is an only place. It is the thing that drives forward our club. It is the thing that drives forward our club today. It is still the biggest uh, single tier, because that's what a cop stand is in Great Britain, second in Europe and Dortmund. 13,500 fans. All the flags and banners that you see tonight, they are made by the fans that sit, sit, sit here. Or they don't sit here, they stand here. All the songs, there is a singing section up there, see by the ladder. They are worked up in the local pubs like the 12th Man, okay, things like LA, 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 okay, the Bobby Firmino one, the Virgil van Dyke. They start singing it and it spreads out across the day. So, we are approaching the end of our tour. Okay. I hope you've enjoyed it. Now, who is coming to match tonight? Okay, if you're coming to match tonight, this club needs you like it's never needed you before. Now, I know you've come from all over the world. I know you're going to take photographs and everything else and be on Snapchat and Twitter. <coughs> but can I make a suggestion? If you don't know the songs, shout at the referee. If you don't know, make the noise. That's what makes it special. Sing along because that is it. You are the 12th man tonight. Don't film it, be it. Be part of it tonight, okay? Because we've got 11 cup finals. More than ever and ever, we need you tonight to make a noise, get behind the team. Because we're just at the moment and we can make the difference. So, ladies and gentlemen, I hope that you've enjoyed the tour. I will take you round to the museum, okay? On behalf of me, Gordon, I hope you enjoyed our short tour. On behalf of my Leonard friend, Michael, Come on, you rats! Yeah! <laughs> hey, you Michael. We'll take you round to the museum. How about that? Help, help. What, are our, we'll do. what are our chances of getting in the Albert or one of these tonight? Oh, easy, yeah. Oh, okay. really? Oh, yeah, no oh, okay. problem. Okay. okay. Mike, Michael will be in the Arkles. I might be in the Arkles as oh, yeah? well. So I might have a pint with the you Arkles? Later. Yeah, just over there. There you go. Okay, there we'll go there. Go. We're there. Okay? Look for us. Okay, there'll be some away fans in there. So okay. Good atmosphere. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, but it's, yeah, but it's nice. Okay, it's okay. Good. He okay. encourages that. Yeah, okay. Hey, it's football. We'll, we'll see you in there, huh? Yeah, awesome. hopefully. Look at okay. this. Nice to meet you. Oh, yeah. Okay. His grandfather, he played for Liverpool. Played six games, scored two goals. Yeah, there you go. Wasn't that good? Come on. But he did play. Maybe you'll see Ray Carbo. He's the youngest. He was the oh. first player to 100 goals. He played in the same oh, team. Okay. You buy the Watford fans. I don't want to hear that. So, folks, don't despair if you can't get to Anfield to see a game. There is something just as good, well, almost just as good, but really a great experience, very close to you probably. So what you're going to look for is the official supporters clubs near you. Go to liverpoolfc.com, then select fans, then go to official supporters clubs, then search across the globe. Check the city closest to you. Bada boom, bada bing, there it is. And you will find a place with uh, all those who have the common desire to support Liverpool Football Club. Gather with them. 
celebrate with them, and it is a great time. So I know it's not fair, but we have the privilege here of being so close to what I believe is the best supporters club out there, the Philadelphia Supporters Club. Yes, I hear he's out there. We had a blast. We uh, watched a victory over Chelsea. We celebrated. We uh, sang together. And it was very similar to being at the game, being at the game not only a month ago. I was here with the Philadelphia Supporters Club, and, man, we had a great time. So lots of energy, lots of really great people. And I encourage you to find the official local supporters around you and get together with them. Lots of fun, especially if you're a Liverpool football fan. So look into that if you wish. And it's a great time to watch the game instead of watching it alone. So also today we have to mention a very important uh, anniversary to the Liverpool family. And um, that is the 30th anniversary of Hillsborough tragedy. So for that, folks, how about we take a moment of silence and remember these folks and who lost their lives and uh, forever. That way they will live within our hearts. Not everybody can get to a Liverpool game, so I'm going to include some sound bites of me and my daughter being at the game and how exciting and crazy and wild it was. And somewhere in there, you'll even hear me fall down four steps because <laughs> we were leaning forward, looking hard to the right. Liverpool scored. In fact, it was Mo Salah set that up, and I went flying. Ended up on the top of the guy in front of me, and another person ended up on the back of me. <laughs> but you'll hear the excitement. Uh, just great. What a great atmosphere. So. Thank you, Liverpool. Thank you, Anfield. Thank you, everybody who uh, helped make our vacation over there that much greater. So thanks for listening. Please share it. You know, please, a positive review if you like the show on iTunes. But if you don't like it, be kind, maybe. <laughs> anyway, take care. Great talking to you, and we'll talk to you soon. I'm Tony, and this is Finding Subjects. Have a great one. Peace.
Well, that just about wraps up our episode here in Liverpool. I want to thank so many people, especially the Magical Mystery Bus Tour and the owners of the Cavern Club who own that tour. I want to thank Bill and Jack and Neil and Tony for excellent uh, feedback and just talking to us, sharing stories about the Beatles and what it's like to be from Liverpool and what it's like to be a Liverpool football fan and even for Jack, an Everton fan. <laughs> we like you, Jack. We still like you, buddy. And, uh, and I'll still buy you a pint when I get over there. And then jumping over to Anfield, we'd like to thank Mike and Gordon for being excellent hosts and excellent tour guides through Anfield. Mike, you got a great voice. I think if you and I team together, we just might possibly win American Idol or The Voice. So I'll be talking to you soon about that. But thank you, Mike, for that rendition of You Never Walk Alone. In honor of a friend of mine, Paul, who recently passed away. And my God, he was the diehard Liverpool fan. The man always wore a kit. So Thank you very much for that, and hello to the Sutton family. We are remembering Paul, and uh, Paul was inspirational in me becoming such a Liverpool fan as well, so uh, we'll always remember Paul. I also want to thank the Philadelphia Liverpool Supporters Club. Guys were awesome, man. We've, we just found them. I don't know why it took us so long, but we went down there, hung out with them during the Chelsea game. We had a great time. Everybody was so cool to us. It was packed. It was nice to find our tribe. And uh, we will be there much more often to celebrate and cheer on Liverpool Football Club. So thank you very much to the Philadelphia Liverpool Supporters Club. We really appreciate that. Thank you all for being here and listening. And one thing I will ask in return, we don't do this for any money, but what we do ask of you, if you like the show, hey man, please check out our other shows, If you, especially if you're a football fan. There's a really interesting episode we did at Celtic Football Game when we attended a game there in Glasgow, Scotland. So you, I think you'll enjoy that as well. And look, if you like the show, folks, please share it. If you think someone you know that will like it or you just want to tell somebody about it, that's the only way we're going to get listened to. And we really appreciate that. We don't make any money here. We just do it for the fun of it and for the love of meeting people and walking away friends. So with that, I just want to say thank you once again. This is Finding Subjects. And we're heading to Ireland next. I'm Tony. Thanks for listening. <laughs>